Well, this evening we look together to Article 33 from our Belgic Confession. You can find that on pages 85 and 86 in the back of your Psalter hymnal. But I'd like to begin by reading with you a passage from Romans 3 and 4. Children, you'll recall that the letter to the church in Rome is divided into three sections. Guilt, grace, and gratitude, or sin, salvation, service, which is where our catechism got its outline. Well, we're going to begin reading right at the very start of that second section that deals with God's grace in giving us salvation in Christ. Just before this, we'd, we find that all of mankind, whether Gentile or Jew, whether they grew up knowing God's Word and worshiping with the church or not, all of mankind is in sin and is cut off from God. And so of ourselves, of what we do, there is no hope, there's no help, there's no deliverance. But God is merciful. And God sent His Son to deliver us from that sin, from that lostness. Well, beginning in verse 27, the apostle asks, Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works, saying, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith he had while still uncircumcised that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those who are, not o who are not only of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations." 
in the presence of Him who believed God, who gives life to the dead, and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Now, Article 33 brings us to the first of three articles that deal with the sacraments of the church. You might be wondering, now what does that have to do with this discussion of righteousness through faith? And the difference between faith and works. Well, we're going to see that in a minute as we consider the nature of the sacraments and how it is that they bless us. But first, let's read what our forefathers taught us to confess as a summary of a variety of Scripture passages. We believe that our gracious God, taking account of our weakness and infirmities, has ordained the sacraments for us, thereby to seal unto us His promises and to be pledges of the goodwill and grace of God toward us, and also to nourish and strengthen our faith, which He has joined to the word of the gospel, the better to present to our senses both that which He declares to us by His word and that which He works inwardly in our hearts, thereby confirming in us the salvation which He imparts to us. For they are visible signs and seals of an inward and invisible thing, by means whereof God works in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore the signs are not empty or meaningless so as to deceive us, for Jesus Christ is the true object presented by them, without whom they would be of no moment. Moreover, we are satisfied with the number of sacraments which Christ our Lord has instituted, which are two only, namely the sacrament of baptism and the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Beloved of God the Father, through Christ His Son, This evening we turn our eyes to the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now our confession of faith, as I said, gives us three articles on the sacraments. Two of them being quite long, as we'll see. We're going to consider those over the course of two Sundays each. Our catechism goes even further, devoting six of its 52 Lord's Days, a full 14% of its questions, to the sacraments. Now does that sound a little strange to you? I mean, do the sacraments really mean all that much to our day-to-day life that we should devote that much of our confessional documents to them? Well, they should mean that much to us because they were given for a particular reason, a particular purpose that is crucial to the well-being of God's people. So this evening, we're going to begin looking at the sacraments. And Lord willing, we'll continue for about a month beginning today by looking at the sacraments in general, what they are, why they were given, how they're meant to work in the life of God's people. Then we're going to look at baptism in general, what it is, what its purpose is, what its message is, and then how baptism works in the life of the covenant community of the church. Then we're going to do the same thing with the Lord's Supper, looking at it generally, and then looking at it in its particular outworking within the covenantal life of the church. In other words, we begin with a broad look and then we get progressively more focused. And our prayer ought to be that as we consider the sacraments, we might come to a greater appreciation for why God has given them to us and how we should expect them to work within our lives, within our hearts, within our faith. But again, we start with the broad view, considering the sacraments in general. And as we consider this matter taught in Scripture summarized in our confession, 
we see that Christ ordained the sacraments to be a visible confirmation of the gospel. Christ ordained the sacraments to be a visible confirmation of the gospel, which we see first of all in the twofold purpose for which they're given, and then in the true power by which they present Christ. So we see, we see first of all the twofold purpose for which they've been given. But understand, before we look at those particular purposes, those particular goals, that the sacraments, when God gave them, they reflect our need, our lack. Not a lack in God's Word. Not a deficiency in what God has otherwise given us. They reflect our need. Think about the apostles. These were men who walked with Jesus Himself. They witnessed His miracles. They saw His power over all the creation. They heard His astonishing wisdom. And yet, how slow to learn they were. How hard of heart. Even though they lived and walked and talked with Jesus day by day by day. How many times they had seen Jesus work amazing miracles over the creation and yet still they were terrified by a sudden storm out on the lake. And they worried about where a crowd of followers would get their food. Should they not have known? Should they not have realized that Jesus had ample power to address these needs? Of course they should have. But like us, they were slow to understand. They were weak of faith. They were so clearly able to confess Jesus' office as the Christ, and yet, moments after confessing that, they balked at the idea that He must suffer for our sins. And just a few months after, they stood dumbfounded as He died on the cross, not recognizing that this is what He had been talking about all along. You see, we're weak. We're slow, just like the apostles were. Just like Israel out in the wilderness, slowly coming to an understanding of who God is and what our standing is before Him, and yet stumbling time and again in our, in our weakness. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. While we still live in this world, while we still wrestle with the flesh, we're limited, we're small, we wrestle with our weak faith. And it's because of that that God gave us the sacraments, to strengthen us, to confirm us, to deepen our faith in Him. To the Old Testament saints, He gave the sacraments of circumcision and Passover. These were sacraments that pointed forward to the coming of Christ. They were sacraments of bloodshed, sacraments of suffering, sacraments of shadows that hinted at what was to come. Today, we don't celebrate circumcision and Passover anymore because those sacraments have been fulfilled by Christ. He shed the blood of which they spoke. He replaced the shadow with the substance. And so He replaced circumcision and Passover with new sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Sacraments that point backward at what Jesus has already accomplished. Sacraments of, of triumph that demonstrate Jesus' fulfillment. But even though the sacraments themselves have changed, what has not changed is the essential purpose of those sacraments. Because as, as they are today, so they were back before Jesus came. 
The sacraments were given to give us assurance as seals and to give us understanding as signs. That's the twofold purpose. They are to be seals and signs. First of all, seals to give us assurance. The confession says they seal unto us God's promises. A seal is a means of attesting that something is real or genuine. You go to the government to get something uh, certified or to file something with them, to file something with the courts, to file something with their recorder of deeds, they invariably put a seal on that piece of paper. That seal attests to the genuineness and to the official sanction of that document. If you go... Kids, if you go to get your, your driver's license and you have to take you know, proof of your identification so you take your uh, birth certificate. But maybe as you're walking out of the house you grab the wrong one out of the file. You didn't know that, that dad made a couple extra copies just in case they'd be needed. And you grab one of those copies instead of the real one. And you get down to the courthouse and you present them with your, your birth certificate. They're going to look at it and see that there's no seal on it. They're going to say, this isn't valid. I can't accept this. They're looking for the one that has the official seal on it that says this is genuine, this is real. The seal is that which attests to the truth of a thing. In the sacraments, in the case of the sacraments, they seal the promises of the gospel. The water of baptism, when it's administered by a, an ordained minister of the church within the worship service, those waters testify that this person has truly received the promises of God's covenant. The bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper received from the hand of an elder. These declare that the sacrifice of Christ has been given for you. And likewise, our confessions say the sacraments are pledges of the goodwill and grace of God toward us. What's a pledge? A pledge is a token given to prove someone's trustworthiness. When you make an offer to buy a house... Generally, you, you put that offer on paper and then you turn it in to the seller along with what's called earnest money. That earnest money is a token. It's a pledge. It says, this is how committed I am to fulfilling this offer. This is a, a foretaste. This is a down payment on what I've promised to pay you for that house. Well, in like manner, the sacraments stand as a pledge of the promises God has given to us. When, when the water of baptism washes over the body, we know that water is able to wash away dirt. And, and the Lord says, just that way, with just that confidence, that certainty, the blood of Christ will wash away the, the dirt, the defilement of your sin. When you feel the bread on your tongue nourishing your body, that's a pledge. So too will Jesus feed and nourish your very soul. When you taste the tang of the wine on your tongue, He's saying that's how confident you can be. That you will drink the wine of Christ's victory in the marriage feast of the Lamb. They're a means of assurance, a means by which God helps us to be certain of the promises of Christ. That's why I read to you from Romans 3 and 4. Baptism is the sacrament that replaced circumcision. We talk a lot about circumcision in this passage. Because Paul's trying to make the point that circumcision isn't what made Abraham righteous. You see, there was a debate in the church at that time. 
The church in Rome, as throughout much of the Roman Empire at that time, in those early days, comprised two separate groups. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. And many of the Jews, you know, they had grown up having been circumcised, having kept the ceremonial law of Moses, all of which pointed forward to Christ. And they cherished that fact that it was all pointing forward to Christ. And so now these Gentiles are coming in, circumcised. They haven't kept the cleanliness laws of Moses and all of those, circum, or those uh, ceremonial laws. And these Jews are saying, you have to keep the ceremonial law. You have to be circumcised. You have to only eat kosher foods. You have to avoid that which is unclean because all of that is part and parcel of the covenant. And Paul's saying, absolutely not. You don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Not only because circumcision has been fulfilled by Christ and now has been replaced by baptism, not only because of that, but because the sacrament doesn't make you righteous. The sacrament isn't what brings you into Christ. And he points out how Abraham, he was justified by his faith. What did he say in chapter 3? We conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Even if Abraham had been given all the law given through Moses, none of that would have made him righteous. It was by faith. He believed the Lord, and this was counted to him as righteousness. Because in believing the Lord, he was looking to Christ. In believing the Lord, he was resting on the faithfulness of Jesus. And then he points out, Verse 11 of chapter 4, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of the faith he had while still uncircumcised. He believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness and then afterward God gave him the sacrament. That through that sacrament he, he might have confirmation of what he already had which was righteousness in Christ. He tells us that. So that we can understand rightly the purpose of the sacrament. The sacrament is not given in order to make us righteous. In order to bring us to Christ. In order to establish us as believers. No, no, no. Faith does that. The faith that God imparts to us. The faith that causes us to trust in Christ. That's what makes us right before God. And the sacrament was given to strengthen that faith. To give us assurance of that faith. To make us more firmly hold on to Christ by whom we're righteous. It just confirms what we already have. But it's faith that justifies us. Faith that unites us to Christ. We find a beautiful illustration of that in Mark chapter 4. At the end of, or Mark chapter 5 rather. At the end of Mark 5, Jesus has been called to the house of Jairus. He's a ruler among the Jews. His daughter had been very sick and had just died. Jesus comes into the house, it's filled with mourners who are, are weeping at the death of this little girl who was about 12 years old. Jesus casts them all out. He says, she's only sleeping. They start mocking him. We know what dead is, they're saying. But he put them all outside and he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was laying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked. She was dead. This is an image of our salvation, folks. I mean, it really happened, but it's an image of our salvation. She was dead. 
And Jesus touched her, and He spoke to her. And she had life. And then she arose, and He commanded them, and said that something should be given to her to eat. She had been given life. He spoke to her, He touched her, and she arose back to life. But now she needed to be nourished. Now she needed to be strengthened that she might recover from the weakness of her illness. And that's the way He brings us to life. First, He touches us and He speaks to us by His Word and by His Spirit. And we come to life. But then having been given life, we need to be nourished. We need to be strengthened in the faith by which He has given us life. And it's for that purpose He's given us the, the continual preaching of God's Word and also the sacraments. Those sacraments are the food, part of the food, by which He strengthens us, builds us up in the faith, draws us closer to Him, gives us assurance of what we believed. So the sacraments are a seal. They give us assurance. They're a pledge of that which is to come that strengthens our faith. But not only are they seals, they're also signs given to teach us. God created us with the ability to learn from more than just the words that we hear. We learn also by the things that we see and the things that we touch and the things that we smell. That's why in school, kids, you often see your teachers using various teaching aids. You'll see them draw diagrams on their whiteboards, right? In high school, some of you kids maybe have, have uh, learned in biology from dissecting small creatures. Our young children often learn by quiet books. You guys still do that? You know, the little... Uh, books made out of fabric that have buttons and snaps and zippers and crinkly pages and different things that they can use their tactile senses in order to learn from. Inherently, we understand our need for that kind of supplemental instruction that goes beyond what we just hear. And God understands our need. He made us with that ability to learn in these various ways. And so He devised images. He devised signs to teach us and those signs are the sacraments. But of course, man always tries to do better than God. Man is always tempted to find his own way. Rather than be satisfied with the images that God has given us, man has always been tempted to find his own images. In the Middle Ages, they did it with artwork. They created stained glass windows that were meant to depict stories from the Bible. They made statues of saints and frescas of the Bible stories. And those were, were seen as teaching aids for the unlearned, for the, the common people. But those teaching aids soon became the only thing by which the people were taught. As sermons disappeared from the churches, and when they were taught, they were taught in a language the people couldn't even understand. And so they took these images that God never designed, that God never intended, and they used those to replace the teaching of the Word. And with the, the replacing of the teaching of the Word... The sacraments that God had given were taken away from the people. Today our methods are a lot more mass-produced and high-tech. Instead of stained glass, we have Bible story books that replace word, the Word with illustrations. We have uh, not so much statues and frescas as movies like the Passion. But the idea is the same. We try to replace the Word that God has given to us with, with images that He never commanded. We don't need to do that because God has given us images that strike at the very heart of the gospel and that are aimed at instructing us 
in a way that's absolutely perfect. Perfect because God designed it. Notice how our confession emphasizes the priority of the Word over the image. The sacraments, it says, are joined to the Word of the Gospel. The better to present to our senses both that which He declares to us by His Word and that which He works inwardly in our hearts, thereby confirming in us the salvation which He imparts to us. First the Word, then the sacrament. First the life, then the nourishment. First the faith, then the confirmation. You see, we must not ever separate the visible word from the spoken word. When we remove the sacrament from the sermon, we start focusing on the sacrament itself and that becomes superstition. But when we join the word and the sacrament rightly, then the sacraments serve to clarify and emphasize the word. They teach us, for instance, to to rightly understand ourselves. The Passover, which was the Lord's Supper of the Old Covenant, was meant to remind God's people of how they were powerless to deliver themselves from their enslavement until God came and rescued them and delivered them not only from their enslavement but even from the death that He would pour out upon those who were His enemies. Listen, in in Deuteronomy 16, He says, Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, that is the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. He wants them to remember how they were weak, how they were powerless. Doesn't baptism do that same thing for us by showing us how we're defiled and we need to be cleansed? Doesn't the Lord's Supper do that by showing us that we need spiritual food and drink that we cannot provide for ourselves? And in Exodus 12 where he gives that sacrament of the Passover. He says, So it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service of the Passover? You shall say it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when He struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so. The sacrament was intended to teach the children. This is what God did. This is the way He delivered us. This is the way He rescued us from our need when we were powerless and weak. You see, they teach in a tangible, visible way. And just as the Passover did, just as circumcision did, so does the Lord's Supper and baptism today. Now we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. Exactly how does it teach us those lessons? But we need to recognize that that God is using baptism and the Lord's Supper to set before us a visible picture of the salvation Christ has promised us and of the nourishment and strengthening and provision that He has assured us we will receive throughout our Christian life. Not to mention a beautiful image of how the church is united in Christ and made one and how the church will in the end celebrate the victory of Christ together with the saints from all the ages. All of that is wrapped up in baptism and the Lord's Supper. This beautiful image that's so multifaceted because God created it, because God gave it to us. But now when we talk about the sacraments, there's always a bit of a tightrope to be walked. And that leads us to our our second point, our other point, which is brief but important. We need to consider the true power by which the sacraments present Christ. See, one of the reasons our confessions say so very much about the sacraments is not only because they're very important, though they are, 
but also because they're often misused, misunderstood over the history of the church. Historically, God's people tend toward extremes in their misunderstanding of what God has given them. And so with the sacraments, one error has been to overvalue the physical rite. For example, the church before the age of the Reformation regarded the sacraments as that which necessarily imparts grace regardless of how one receives it. So they, they had come to so overvalue baptism that they believed that a person who was baptized was forgiven all his sin whether or not he believed it, whether or not he had faith in Christ, whether or not he received those promises in faith. They believed that the, the sacrament worked almost magically. And when someone received the Lord's Supper, they believed that, that they were receiving the, the strengthening and the nourishment of Christ regardless of whether they believed it, regardless of whether they were joined to Christ by faith. That's an overvaluing of the sacrament as something which, which works superstitiously, mechanically. But it doesn't square with Scripture. Romans 4 verse 16, we heard, says it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham. A man is justified by faith, not by works of the law. So the sacraments can't impart grace on their own, only through faith. We, we shouldn't set them on that high of a pedestal. But on the same time, we shouldn't undervalue them. That's what Ulrich Zwingli, the, the reformer who did so much good, but, but when it came to the sacraments, he said they were merely signs given simply to, to bring to our remembrance what Jesus did. But he said they didn't impart any power, any strength, any spiritual nourishment. The Anabaptists made the sacraments merely human. They, they made them a pledge of our faith. A demonstration of our belief, but, but they said they had no power from God, no intention of God working through them. Both Zwingli and the Anabaptists, they failed to wrestle with the weight which the Bible lays upon the sacraments. In contrast to both extremes, our confession says that the sacraments are visible signs and seals of an inward and invisible thing. By means whereof... God works in us by the power of His Holy Spirit. So they do have power, but it's the power of God worked in us through faith. So what that means is we need to always remember baptism, the Lord's Supper, they don't have power in and of themselves. They can nourish and strengthen us. They can confirm and emphasize and assure us, but not of themselves. Not of themselves. Only as God uses them through the faith that He's given to us. Again, as Romans 4 says, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. Grace comes through the faith that God has given us as we look to Christ and as we see what Christ has done through these sacraments. Yet at the same time, we need to recognize that He does work through these sacraments. He does give us strength through them. Despite the protests of Zwingli and the Anabaptists, the sacraments really are a means of grace to us if we receive them by faith. Because as we receive them by faith, God uses these sacraments to confirm that what we believe is real. And that those promises we've heard really come to us. They're not just for other people out there. 
They're not just vaguely for some people. No, they're for us. Just as surely as the water wet my head. Just as surely as I taste the bread on my lips. So surely, so concretely can we believe that God has given that to me. To benefit me. But this is a matter of inward working. By faith through the Holy Spirit. Romans 2 says, He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit. It's not enough to physically participate in the sacrament. We have to believe what the sacrament signifies. And you say, well, how can that be when we baptize infants? Well, we're going to talk about that in the next two weeks, but... But what we need to remember is, children, you were baptized, most, most of you, before you ever remember. But throughout your life, you're called to believe, to receive what was done to you by faith, to, to believe that what God spoke to you and about you is real and is true. And so after the fact, we receive it by faith. But when we do receive it by faith, whether the sacrament of baptism or that of the Lord's Supper, when we receive it by faith, God imparts to us the strength of Christ. God unites us more closely with those promises He's given to us. God strengthens us. And He gives us a maturity of faith that we could receive in no other way than by participating through faith in these sacraments. So what that means is they're not optional. Just as He has not called us to make a whole raft of images according to our imagination and our understanding. He hasn't called us to do that, but He has called us to use the images that He has set before us of baptism and the Lord's Supper. To take hold of them with joy and with faith and with understanding. That means, mom and dad, that when your children say, what do you mean by this service, that you explain to them. And if they don't ask, that you encourage them to ask. When you know the Lord's Supper is coming up, that you say, hey, by the way, church is going to be a little different than usual this morning. Do you understand what we're doing? Do you know why we do that? And that you encourage them, even though they're, they're too young to partake yet, that you encourage them to trust in what they see, to believe the promises they witness, and to consider the lesson that's beholding, that they're beholding in, the, in their eyesight. And when they see baptism... You explain it to them. Hey, what does that look like? Doesn't that look like a, a baby getting a bath? Huh? Well, wh why do we give a baby a bath? And you explain the imagery, the symbolism that's set there so that they can take hold of those promises in their own small way, their own young way. And they too can benefit. They too can be blessed as they put their faith in the Savior who is portrayed before us. But we must use these sacraments, young and old, one and all, because God is ordained through them to strengthen us, to build us up, to draw us near. We confess that Christ ordained the sacraments as a visible confirmation of His gospel. So brothers and sisters, let's rejoice to use them. Let's encourage one another to understand them. And let us give God thanks that He's given us such wonderful gifts as signs, as seals, as sources of strength for us. Amen. Let's pray.
Oh Lord, our God, we thank You that You who know us so much better than we know ourselves have given us the sacraments that are precisely what we need that we might grow, that we might be strengthened, that we might be built up in Christ. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.